What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and we're bringing it back, talking about strategic quitting on the show. Might feel a little out of place, but you know what? Once we get into this, it's going to feel right at home. A lot of you need to hear this message. And we're bringing on Dr. Lynn Marie Morsky to talk all about strategic quitting. This was one of my favorite episodes that I've ever recorded on Financial Residency because I think it's a really important message and a really different mindset change that I think a lot of you are struggling with right now. Just based on some of the questions that we're getting in our emails, I think this is going to hit home for a lot of you. So I'm excited to bring this on. Today's sponsor is Vive Funds, and they're a commercial multifamily real estate firm trusted by physician investors, physician families, and busy entrepreneurs all across the U.S. They're located in Dallas, Texas, and they're founded by my friend Vina Jetty. And Vive Funds specializes in curating conservative passive real estate investment opportunities for their investors. Vina, who's been on the show several times, uh, she brings a very dynamic perspective to targeting and acquiring, managing, and operating investment assets using the best time-tested practices combined with cutting-edge technologies. I am a huge fan of Vina and what she's working on and what they're doing. So you can reach out to her. She loves to chat on the phones. She'll be excited that you're calling her, but you can reach out to her or her team over at Vive Funds to find out how you can be a successful investor too by creating opportunities for you to build out your real estate portfolio. You can check her out by going to drpodcastnetwork.com slash Vive Funds, V-I-V-E-F-U-N-D-S. And that is in the description of the show you're listening to me in right now. Now, you know, after our sponsor, I always hit the disclaimer and please, I hope you're not fast forwarding through this because this is the most important part of the whole episode is that this is not specific financial planning or investment related advice. I don't think you should take advice from anyone on the internet or YouTube or a podcast, but eh, I digress. Anyway, this is for educational purposes only. This is not specific advice. So how can you become a strategic quitter? Well, let's jump in with Lynn Marie and find out. So a doctor, a lawyer, and a quitter walk into a podcast recording booth. And we're here today with Lynn Marie Mortsky. I'm so excited to have you on, our expert level quitter. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Ryan. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to talk on this stuff. So what I thought was when I was kind of doing some research and looking at everything you're putting out, which is a ton of great content and podcasts and Facebook groups and everything amazing, you said something that was really profound and it got me thinking about the way that we all live our lives and people, including me, say that we should be living out like our own version of our best life. And in my case, I say it a ton on the show that you should spend in a way that makes you happiest. But as you put it, quitting is something that isn't working for us. And in order to move on to something that will, and that really resonated with me personally. And so I'm hoping that we can just start our conversation talking about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Quitting the way I talk about it, which is strategic quitting, as opposed to giving up, is what needs to happen when you realize that what Ever part of your life is giving you stress, friction, that it needs to go because you need to make room for something that's going to work better. And this could be job, career, and because those, those are different, relationship, the city you're in, the ketogenic diet, your yoga studio, all the way to 
what's kind of, it seems like end of the line, but probably should be up there at the front is quitting mindsets that aren't serving you. But anything in that realm that you realize, okay, this is what's giving me friction. This is what's causing me anxiety. This is what's keeping me from this ideal life that I have imagined. Then it needs to go. But what I talk about is obviously a strategic quit where you prepare for the quit and make arrangements so that everything goes, you know, you're not just up and leaving it. A lot of times there are mindset quits that have to happen before the other quits. But yes, it's all part of getting you to where you're living the life that you're meant to live. That's your ideal life. Yeah. And we talk about ideal life and we're definitely going to dig into that in the show. And I'm curious where you want to take this. Would you like to talk about strategic quitting and what that is and, and the process around that first? Or would you like to talk about, and I definitely think this is number one or two, in the limiting mindsets or beliefs that people have that hold them back and helping people realize that? Which one kind of would come first? Well, I think I can kind of discuss them both because this third step of strategic quitting deals with a lot of the fears around quitting. And I think a lot of the mindsets pop up there. Okay. So the five steps of the strategic quit briefly, and if you have any questions, I can obviously go into each one in more detail. But step one is deciding whether or not there's something that needs to go. And that has a lot to do with tuning into your intuition. Is your body telling you this thing is not working for me? Does that need to go? And then step two is figuring exactly what needs to go because you may be like, all right, I have stress somewhere in my life. Is it my relationship? Is it my job? And then if you decide, okay, it's my job, but is it the whole job or is it just the commute or is it just your boss? Because quitting isn't necessarily easy and you don't want to have to quit more than you need to. So in step two, you really drill down on, okay, what exactly is causing the friction so that you can quit only that? Step three is where you identify and overcome fears. And a lot of these fears will bring up your mindsets. Like if your big fear is what will other people think of my quit, then you probably have a limiting mindset somewhere that says, I'm only worthy if external validation measures say I'm worthy. I'm only as good as my neighbor thinks I am. And that's a huge limiting belief. Another one might be, I may fail at the next thing. Who am I to be quitting this nice, secure job? Secure is in quotes. Nothing is secure really these days. But this nice, secure job and trying to go out on my own, that mindset, the one behind that is probably imposter syndrome. So when you're dealing with the fears that are keeping you from quitting, a lot of times these mindsets pop up and then you got to start back at the beginning like, oh, this mindset actually needs to go before I'm able to confidently make a quit because you don't necessarily want to make a quit feeling super fearful, right? You want to be in a place where you're like, this quit is what's right for me right now. I'm feeling confident, feeling good about the quit. You don't want to feel like you're dragging and screaming through the quit, right? Like somebody is forcing you to do this. So go through and when those fears pop up, identify the mindset behind them, quit that mindset first, whatever that takes. Sometimes it's therapy or a coach just working through it. And then you can go on to the quit. So the rest of the quit, step four is identifying, okay, what kind of preparations do I need to make to prepare my health, relationships, and finances for a quit? This is where you come in very nicely. And then step five, hey, and then step five is making the quit in a way that preserves relationships and burns as few bridges as possible. Okay. Recap the five really quick, and then let's dive into each one a little bit more. Number one, is there something I need to quit? Number two, what exactly do I need to quit? Number three, identifying and overcoming fears. Number four, preparing health relationships and finances for a quit. And number five, making the quit. 
I love that five-step process. It's really good. I think it's complete. And I think number three was it with the limiting beliefs, the mindset. Like we all experience this, whether it's big or small. And I'll pick on myself. That makes it easy instead of other people. I need to lose weight. My wife tells me I need to lose weight. My mom tells me I need to lose weight. And I'm totally cool with it because I definitely need to lose weight. And my limiting belief is like, I am too busy to work out. I am too busy to do certain things. Like half the time I forget to eat and, or I don't have time to eat and I'm working through it. And then I'm like, oh my God, I'm so hungry. And then I have like two dinners and that's not good. And I know that's not healthy, but I have that somewhat limiting belief or different mindset on I'm too busy. And I know that other people are going to be saying like, yeah, I literally am a resident. I sleep every fourth night at the hospital. Like I'm too busy to do X, Y, Z or, or whatever it is. Like how do they go about identifying maybe because they haven't realized that how do they identify it? And then how can they fix it or resolve that issue? Well, I'm going to go ahead and offer for all the residents listening that Ryan's idea of too busy and your idea of too busy are very different things because you are actually too busy and Ryan is not too busy. And I'll tell you why. Sorry, Ryan. Very good. What you are saying is that my business is more important than my health because you work for yourself and you get to make that choice. Mm -hmm. The residents do not. The residents are told you have to be here. It doesn't matter if you are near dying. You are Q4. You have got to be at this hospital. I was there. It was the worst thing that could have happened to my mental and probably physical health ever. Like residency has to take years off your life. And so if somebody's in that situation saying, I don't have time. Really, I'm not even sure that's a limiting belief. That's probably nearly true. And it's hard because residents are not making a ton of money because once you're making, you know, a comfortable salary, I say, for example, I don't cook. I quit cooking years ago because if I had to cook, it wouldn't happen and I would eat terrible foods or just eat nothing. So I have food delivery, but that's not free, you know, and for a resident that may be out of reach for them. But you know, it also may be worth it for them to invest that little extra money because if by the end of residency, you suddenly have type two diabetes because you've treated yourself terribly for four years and now your insulin's all over the place and then you're on medications, well, maybe it's worth it to spend that extra little money on a food delivery service while you're in residency. But most of that is if you're not being told where to be all the time by a residency program, then a lot of it is your priorities and you saying like, okay, If I'm too busy to take care of myself, that means I'm putting my business success first. Success is also going in quotes here. But to me, oh, you cut deep. I'm just kidding. What? Yeah. To me, the (laughs) mindset shift is that success is when you are healthy as an entire well rounded individual, your financial situation is healthy, your work situation is healthy, and your body is healthy. To me, It is not success if you're like, you know, I mean, I'm sure he's healthy and successful, whatever. but like Gary Vaynerchuk making it seem like it's okay to sleep three hours a night. hmm, That's not my idea of success. The hustle to like you've burned the candle at both ends, not success to me. I don't care what your bank account says. Your bio data is not going to lie. If you, you know, burned out, your cortisol's all over the place, you're overweight, you're stressed out, you've got to be on like anti-anxiety medication to calm you down. Like that to me is not success. So this is a deep mindset shift, which is like, what's your priority in life? What is your true definition of success? I mean, you know, I know we're going to talk about our ideal day, but I'm sure if you could just completely whiteboard your ideal day, the person who's walking through that ideal day is fit, right? Yeah. And I've actually do this and I work with clients and we do actually plan out your ideal day week and year. And initially it's hard for people to do, but you know, over time we get in a different mindset of looking and thinking about money and time and 
time is being your actually your most precious resource. It's not money. And so, yeah, I mean, sometimes I get misaligned with time quite often, actually, during the work week I do. But yeah, ideally, I would not like to be overweight person that is unhealthy. So yeah, ideal day does not include that. Yeah. So it takes an hour a day to be healthy at most. In that hour, you can do 30 minutes of movement and 30 minutes of meal prep or whatever. Like I'd say minimum an hour a day or sometimes maximum. You don't have to work out every day. If whatever you're making per hour, whatever you've decided you make per hour, it's probably worth at least one of those hours. If you think about future medical costs, because you're a finance guy, right? To dedicate that to your health, to defray those future costs. Like you won't have to have those costs if you take care of your health now. And that's the mindset. I would, you know, scrap the I'm too busy. You're too busy not to, because if you want to be able to keep up this schedule for years, you've got to be in good health. That's, I mean, that's great advice. For years. Yeah. You are too important and too vital to too many people's finance to not take yourself and your health seriously. That's really good advice. And then relating it back to, costs and medical costs and understand immediately as soon as you said that I was like oh dang it that's right that's gonna cost so much more money I didn't plan for that my wife's over here like if she was here I know she's gonna listen and be like shaking her head like you're an idiot I've told you this just in a different way I'm gonna go like yes honey you're right it's on recording now it's like Lynn Marie you're killing me oh great great advice sniper I appreciate that You know, when we're thinking it though, and I'm relating this back to when I work with clients, like sometimes the pain point is the quitting of change or just change in itself, not necessarily the quitting, but in our conversation today, I think it actually could be the quitting in itself. How would you dig into that? Well, I love that you phrased it as that because when I first told people I was going to write a book on quitting and start a podcast, there's all these kind of confused looks. And I would say, well, you know, the self-help industry millions of dollars worth of content out there to tell you to live your best life. But the pain point is generally leaving the life that isn't your best life. And that's where I come in. Mm -hmm. Because you're absolutely right that that's where a lot of people get stuck. You know, of course, they know what their best life looks like, or they think they do, or there's some like image in their head of whatever they are not living now that seems better. The grass is greener over there. But over here is my familiar zone. Over here, I know what it's like. And that other side, you know, it takes making some big changes that may or may not be that comfortable to make. So it's just a process of identifying like, okay, what are you afraid of? By the way, most fears come down to fear of the unknown, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. If I'm afraid of what somebody's going to think about me, it's because I don't know what they're going to think about me. If I'm afraid of failure, it's because I don't know if I'm going to succeed, right? Yeah. What are my friends and my family are going to think if I make this decision to quit? That's a big one. And that was actually one that I went through personally. And like the initial thing that I said in the beginning, why it resonated so much is because when I finally decided that I'm not going to work for another planner and that I'm going to go off on my own, that it was a huge decision, leaving a nice six-figure job to then come back and not make anything, not have a book of business, not have any contact list and to be like, I want to do this on my own. That is so hard. And that's the piece that resonated with me. So- And you said your friends and family were like, what are they going to think, right? Yeah. I was going, oh God, when I call mom, what is she going to think about this? Yeah. Two things on that. Those who think negatively or like when you say, I'm going to do this thing and, and they questioned you or they advised you not to, they are generally either protecting or projecting, neither one of which is your problem. They are protecting you or they think they are from this imaginary scenario where you're a complete failure 
based on their own values and their own risk tolerance. Or and or it might be what their friends and their neighbors would think of, oh yeah, exactly. what does your son do? Oh, he quit his job. Yeah, that's all be. based yeah. on what other people may think. Now, if you're the one sitting in a cubicle for 40 hours a week, miserable. Balance your misery, 40 hours a week, by the way, 40 hours a week is just while you're there, but you know you're miserable the rest of the week because you have to go back there every day, right? Mm -hmm. Like Sunday scaries kick in, you know, Mondays are terrible, you're living for Friday, you're happy like one day of the week because Saturday's the only day you're not thinking about it. Mm, Great. So you're now happy one seventh of your life and you're staying there on the off chance that Joe Blow neighbor might think something negative about you. That balance does not work out in your favor. And P.S., Joe Blow can either think something negative, neutral, or positive about it. Regardless of which of the three he thinks, he's going to think about it for about 10 seconds before he moves on to his own life, where he is worried about what you're thinking of him. Yeah. And just like in the finance piece of this, right? Like when we talk about the Joneses, like Dr. Joneses next door, like what they drive, what they do, and how you're influenced, this goes along hand in hand, but this is not flashy of, you know, some nice new car or you know, some fancy toys, like we're talking about emotions and thought process and it's still very relevant. And that's why I love this conversation so much. Yeah. Well, it all boils down to what I was talking about before is do you live your life based on you and your desires and what's going to make you happy? Or are you living your life for others and what's going to make them happy and impress them? Those are two completely different lives. And one of the two at the end of it, you're going to feel a lot more fulfilled and you're not going to be left with like, what if I had tried these things I wanted to do, but my family said this, or people would have thought of this of me, man, the best quit you can make probably in life is quitting that external validation mindset and start living according to your own values. Because what other people think of you, unless they, I always say this, with the giant caveat, if if they're going to write you out of your million dollar inheritance because you make a quit, all right, that's one thing. But almost no other situation is what somebody thinks of your quit going to affect you more than you actually being stuck in that situation that keeps you unhappy. I'd still even push back on that. Money doesn't buy happiness, right? So like why? No, and exactly. Like we were talking about signing bonuses and somebody's like, I would get a $40,000 signing bonus if I stayed on in the military. I'm like, so then you just put a price on your freedom, right? And so like the point is not saying that, okay, that's a good reason to stay if you're being written out of the inheritance. My point is that that's the only scenario where your quit could affect what somebody else does to you. Mm -hmm. That's literally the only scenario or like, you know, if your parents, if you're on your parents' insurance or you're living on your parents' roof and they say, if you quit this job, we're throwing you out. Unless somebody in your family is going to do something to you because you quit, their thoughts of you are not going to affect you. I am, however, not saying that because they can do something to you is a good reason to stay. I'm just saying those are the only scenarios in which what somebody else thinks of your quit could actually affect you more than the stress of you staying in it. Yeah. Why do you think society labels quitters as bad? in this because Because in reality it's not no well it's sayings like quitters never win winners never quit that have done a ton of damage i have like hashtag quit i follow it on um instagram to see meme after meme that say i may pause i i do this and that but i will never quit just all these like memes what they are trying to do is get you to not give up there is as i discussed a big difference between giving up and strategic quitting And everybody who you know who is successful, and I will just say everybody is the quitter. Steve Jobs, Michael Jordan, Bill Gates, they all made massive major quits that we know about. Mark Zuckerberg, you know, these half these guys quit Harvard. They are the wealthiest guys, philanthropic guys. Michael Jordan quits the NBA, goes back, wins three more rings. Like nobody's thinking like Michael Jordan, there's a quitter, Uh, but he is. 
Yeah, or all the, or all the shots that, that he's missed. And I know Michael's actually come out and said, like, you know, I've missed like, I don't know, 20 game winners that would have, you know, done X, Y, Z. And, but I didn't stop. I, I went back and I've made 40, you know, more game winners or whatever that statistic is, or like baseball players, right. To stick with the stupid sports analogy, but like they strike out or, or they are out two thirds of the time. And if they have, you know, an average of 300 or better, like they're considered amazing. Like you're good one third of the time. Right. But they're right, not that's quitting failing as opposed to quitting. But yep. yes, like focus on that, too. If you're afraid of failing, look at the fact that baseball players are failing most of the time. And like the best ones are still only succeeding a third of the time. Yep. But think about every successful person, you know, has quit something at some point. Therefore, they are a quitter and therefore quitters still win. If that person is, you know, Bill Gates, giant winner, curing polio, definitely quit things. So it's just a completely irrational thing to have this stigma. But it's the fact that people have conflagrated quitting and giving up. And like, yeah, we want a bunch of things that tell people not to give up. You're on the 12th mile of a 13 mile race. Yes, finish the race unless you're, you know, hurting, like your health is suffering. But that's what we're trying to say is like, you can do it, but it comes off instead of being positive and encouraging, it comes off shaming the quitting portion of things, which is totally unnecessary because like I just said, quitters win all the time. Yeah. So as we kind of round it out, we've, we've danced around it a little bit and I've mentioned it on the show quite a bit. I did a show with my wife on talking about like your ideal life and answering a couple of questions that we done on the show and what I do with clients. But in your kind of words and the work that you do, you know, comparing your current life to your ideal life. And obviously there's going to be differences. Sometimes just in my experience, I know that there's huge differences and sometimes there's not that many. And I usually ask people like, you know, after knowing what your ideal life or your ideal, I should say day looks like, how close are you to living out this ideal day? I've heard anything from I'm pretty much there to I don't have anything that resembles my ideal day. And so I'm curious, like, how do you kind of work through this yourself and then maybe figure out like some of the areas that you should quit in theory to get closer to that ideal day? Ideal day, the exercise was transformative for me. I did it at the end of 2017. And I'm not sure exactly what you counsel people to do, but I had listened to a podcast with Ben Greenfield and there was a blog post that went with it that had you answer these very specific questions about your ideal day down to like, who do you wake up next to? What does your house smell like? What music is playing? Like extremely, yeah. Very detailed. And so I went, yes, I went through and did that very detailed. This is who I wake up next to. This is what music is playing. This is what my house smells like. This is what I eat for breakfast. This is where I go to work. This is what it looks like every last piece of it. And at that time, I worked at the VA for nine years and it was only two days a week. So I've had a million second jobs. And at the time, my second job was in politics. And I was trying to like make these connections in that job so I could get like a higher job within, it was political election reform. And I wrote out that ideal day and things were not going well at that second job. There was a lot of friction, but I kept thinking like, I need to stay in to make these connections, write out the ideal day. And I realized at the end, At no point in my ideal day am I working in political election reform because most of it required you to be like at a place, working 40 hours a week, doing something somebody else wanted you to do. I realized political election reform is definitely something I wanted to do on the side, but I really wanted to put my heart and soul into like podcasting and speaking and and the book writing and hold it. Why am I in this second job that's giving me friction? Because I want to make connections to get to this other job that is nowhere in my ideal day. 
at which point I quit the second job. Like it was just easy. It's so much easier because a lot of times what's holding on to things is our ego. So even in a relationship, and this happens to me like all the time, I am perpetually single, but I'll be in like a dating situation. And if it doesn't go well, and this applies to probably everybody, stop and think about anybody who's like been broken up with or, you know, like it's just gone awry, ghosted or whatever. You'll be like sad that it was ghosted and maybe like confused. And then you'll realize you're like, hold it, that person wasn't part of my ideal day. The person in my ideal day had all these characteristics. That person had none of them. The only reason I don't want to quit it is because like it would hurt my ego. So a lot of times you can get solace out of your ideal day and realize, hold it, those things that like that job I didn't get, that relationship that didn't work. Well, I'm looking at my ideal day and those wouldn't have been part anyway. So the universe just knows what it's doing. It knows what my ideal day should look like. And it was just helping me kind of narrow things out of it that shouldn't be there. That's such a good answer. And I'll uh, try to link, Lynn Maria will be in our group and uh, maybe she'll be nice enough to chime in and, and link some of these questions that were in her exercise for the ideal day. But you mentioned podcasts and speaking and things. Tell us, you know, as we finish out here, what you're up to, where can people find all the information? I know I'm in, I'm in your group. I love the content you're doing, which is why I'm so excited that you joined me today. But tell us where they could find you. You can find my quitting empire, if that's a thing, at quittingbydesign.com, where you can pick up a copy of my book called Quitting by Design. You can check out my podcast called Quit Happens, where I feature people who have successfully strategically quit all of the things I mentioned, Peace Corps, Mormon Church, all kinds of things. And then I'm also at Quitting by Design on Instagram. And then I have a Facebook group called Quitopia, the humble home on the web for all things strategic quitting. And then by, I believe, the time this podcast will air, I have a second podcast coming out because now that I've quit the VA and no longer work for the Department of Defense, my mission is to help destigmatize and demystify plant medicines and other medications from like CBD to marijuana to ayahuasca to psychedelics that have therapeutic benefits. And so you can find that podcast called the Plant Medicine Podcast at plantmedicine.org. Org. And that is on Instagram at plantmedicinedot.org. All right, everyone. Hopefully that was eventful, exciting, everything you hoped and wished for. I love Dr. Lynn Marie. She's amazing and excited to have brought this episode back out so you guys could hear a little bit more on strategic quitting and different mindsets. But now... Moving over to our financial malpractice segment. Really excited to bring back on the amazing Note Song and Nathan. Guys, welcome back on. Thanks for coming back and spending some time with us on this segment. Oh, always happy to be here. Thanks for having us. All right, guys, what do you have for us today? Well, I think that your audience has heard a lot about us talking about trusts, and it gets a little bit confusing because there are these things called testamentary trusts, and they're trusts that are created when a will is triggered, so when you die. And we have several clients who have kids with special needs or some major disabilities, and they're on public benefits. The thing that people don't think about is that when some people come into an, a great inheritance, it puts them at risk of losing those public benefits. And so we do have a story to tell you about a mother who died, and she didn't create any type of trust or will. So no estate plan whatsoever. Her daughter had some major health issues and she was disabled and, and was on all of these public benefits. She was set to receive all of her assets, including retirement accounts, and she was named as a beneficiary. Problem was that these assets that she inherited made her completely ineligible for her disability and government health care benefits. And 
it just completely put her in a lurch. She didn't know what to do. Obviously, she had some medical issues that required somebody to help her along. She didn't take the required disbursements from the retirement accounts. She started accumulating government tax penalties. I mean, it just was a complete avalanche of disaster. And so what happened was her attorney had to petition the court to set up a special needs trust to help her manage the assets. And that just resulted in legal and court fees in the tens of thousands of dollars. Now, the big question is, how could this have been different? The tragedy of all of these things is that the easy solution would have been if her mom had created a living trust or even created a will that created a special needs trust within that for her daughter. And that way, what happens is the daughter wouldn't have received ownership of the assets in a way that would have booted her off of those benefit programs. So, you know, it gets tricky because you have to set these trusts up in a special way. You can create them up as a supplemental special needs trust. We did create that for a client recently. The other thing too is if you work with lawyers or financial advisors, they can help you make sure that you don't forget about those type of non-probate assets. Ultimately, the goal here is to ensure that the relative with special needs or disability never has ownership. And so even if you set things up properly in your will and your trust, it can still mess up those plans if you don't track your non-probate assets correctly. Yeah, just to sort of chime in here. I mean, it's sort of like there are two pitfalls here in this woman's situation, because even if she just had a basic will and just said special needs trust for my daughter, which would be sort of the step one. But if she named her daughter as beneficiary of her 401k plan, the those 401k assets are going to disperse to the daughter directly rather than to her trust, because the will does not control the 401k plan. It's a non-probate asset. So that's why it's important to have, you know, trained experts to sort of help because they'll ask you those questions of like, let's talk about your known probate assets. So hiring attorneys or having a financial advisors that can ask those probing questions. It's sort of, you know, this tragedy had several different ways that things could go off the rail and did. I mean, the system is set up so that like, government benefits go to people who can't afford to pay. That's sort of the fundamental idea, right? And so the idea here is like, you know, and it happens with old people that are going into nursing homes and stuff like that. It, the system is set up so that if you have any assets, those will get drained, right? If your assets go to your child and you haven't sort of thought through those things, the government will just be like, that's fine. You can pay for it on your own. And then once you're broke again, then we'll step in. So you'll get your government benefits eventually, but that's after all of those assets have been depleted. So again, it's one of those pieces like talk to experts, especially and this is again, that situation of sometimes kids develop issues later in life. And I think that's the thing, too. I don't want to sort of barrage the listeners with like all these things that they have to keep in mind. I think that's, again, that piece where it's like there are experts out there. We are happy to help. So when things change, all you have to do is just say, like, I need to talk to somebody. That's what we do. Yep. And we loved working with you guys. Taylor and I had needed to update a bunch of our stuff and uh, we were happy to have found you guys to use you guys. I've talked about on air how Taylor was like, well, that didn't suck like the last time. This was actually enjoyable. We get these nice packages from you guys and the pretty paper. And this guy was didn't even want to write on it because it was so nice. And Taylor thought I was an idiot, which is mostly the case anyway. We got them notarized. We didn't wait six months to get that done. We actually got it notarized in time and used you guys. So we've been very happy. That's why I've been so excited to scream your names from the rooftops for everyone to, to hear because you guys have done a really good job for us personally. And we've just really appreciated all the work that you've done, even just for our community and all our clients. So thank you for coming back on. We appreciate you both. And for anyone that doesn't have their estate planning done, please go to 
financialresidency.com slash TW and hire these two amazing people because they helped us out a lot. And I know they can help you guys out as well. All right, everyone. Well, I appreciate you all being here. If this show in any of our episodes has brought you value, please, please, please share this with another physician friend or physician spouse. We want to help every physician understand their personal finances, be better with money, just feel more confident, more comfortable around money. We don't want them to wake up five years from now because they've been an ostrich with their head in the sand and realize they've made a lot of mistakes. So hopefully we can do that through this free podcast. It'll take you like 10 seconds, copy the link, shoot it to someone and say, Hey, listen to this. It might help you out. At least that's my hope. Maybe they get here and you're like, man, that dude's a total nerd. Why did you make me listen to that? That's probably what they're going to say. So just be prepared. You probably should have a response for that. But anyway, love all of you. Thank you so much for being here. Remember that Vive Funds was our sponsor for today, and they provide unique passive multifamily investment opportunities that they vet and bring to you as an investor. And you can reach out to my friend Vina Jetty over there at Vive to see how partnering with Vive can help you reach your real estate investment goals. You can do that by going to drpodcastnetwork.com slash Vive Funds. And you pretty much search most of the real estate podcasts that we have done here to get a good overview on real estate and what it is, what my thoughts are on it, because I am an investor in real estate as well. Uh, I am a fan for a small portion of my portfolio for that. But I've also had Vina on to talk about some really key important things when it comes to investing in multifamily investments. So make sure you check those out as well. Have a great week, everyone, and I'll catch you on Friday. Cheers. This is for entertainment purposes only. Do not take this as investment advice. My dad is only a fiduciary for his clients. Have a great day. Bye.